wants to go back to kindergarten, right? <laughs> Sometimes we get stuck in patterns in places that feel good and we don't move on. And just like this guy was showing us, just because we've learned something, we're successful at something, and or it's worked for us in the past, doesn't necessarily mean we shouldn't be moving forward in our lives. And it's funny when it's depicted like this, but this is a reality for some of us where we could say, you know, there, there's something that I'm just, living in a, I'm just living in a place that I've done and I've been in for so long that I'm not sure I can move on. I'm not sure what it would feel like to move on from there because growth hurts, doesn't it? It's, it's awkward. It's uncomfortable. Do you remember going through puberty? Anyone? Anyone in the middle of puberty right now? It's, it's this awkward, uncomfortable place where you're caught between a world of, of knowing yet not knowing, that you're overtired and you're over-emotional and, and you don't like that feeling of, of having to be in the, and caught in this place. Learning a new skill, any kind of change is completely uncomfortable. And new ways, something that we're going to change puts us back into a forum where this awkwardness is repeated all over again and none of us like feeling that way as an adult because growth is not necessarily a pretty process. And we, we don't like the thought of being embarrassed. We don't want to fall. We don't want to fail. I remember I was teaching somebody to skate. Anybody learn to skate as an adult or swim? As, as a, yeah. <laughs> you try. <laughs> there, was, there was a guy in our, in our youth group. He was 16 years old and he had just moved to Canada and he had come from Kenya. And he had never skated. Shocking, I know. But he, but he was so determined. We took him down to the lakeshore and the, the waterfront on the Natrell Rink. I don't know if you've ever been in Toronto to that Natrell Rink. Beautiful place to skate. But there's like a thousand people going around in this circle. And this guy had never been on the ice before. And we put skates on his feet. And he's going, or he's falling down flat on his face. And Amanda and I were on either side of him. And he kind of had his arms linked around us. And he was bigger than both of us. And every time he fell, we're going down. And people are falling over top of us and be like, Kevin, maybe that's enough for today. No, I'm going to learn how to skate. He, he had no shame apparently, but we, we, were, a little, we were a little nervous uh, and we were getting tired. Of, we didn't like falling down. We didn't like people staring at us. We didn't like being the center of attention. But every time you start to learn a new skill, it gets like that, doesn't it? Anybody who learns new technology has had this feeling too, where you've got, you have no idea where to click. If you've ever transitioned from PC to Mac or Mac to PC, anybody had that, had that frustrating experience? You have no idea, is the X on the left? Is the X on the right? Is the, where do I drag things? Where do I find? It's this frustrating experience. Or when you learned a video game, any whole body video gamers, when you want the person to jump, you're, you're out of your chair, anybody like that? I won't throw other some people I know under the bus who are whole body video gamers. But we, we shy away from changes because it's not comfortable. And if you're just joining us this morning, we are near the end of our Life Rhythm series. We've got this week and next week. But we're looking at what emotionally healthy spirituality looks like. And we're learning that there are all kinds of areas in our, in our life and in our emotional health that have never quite properly developed. And especially considering that we want to have an emotionally healthy spiritual life, the one that's modeled after Christ. And we found, you know, instead of modeling life after Christ, we've modeled life after our parents. 
And we looked back, we went, we went and unlocked the power of the past is the week that we, we had looked at what are the habits that our parents have passed down to us or that even our grandparents have passed down to it. And last week we looked at who's setting the rhythm in our life. Is it this world that's setting the rhythm in our life or is it the model of Christ that we have to have time for reflection and, and time for rest? Who's, who's in charge of that? Well, this week we're going to look at how do we love and have we learned how to love well or are we just loving in a way that has become comfortable to us? And maybe our love is stuck at a kindergarten level. I made a list, I made a list of things that I love. I was thinking about it. I love coffee, especially Starbucks coffee, especially the espresso roast. Of course, I really love the espresso roast at Starbucks. I love baseball. Anybody else love baby? Some people love it. Yeah, that's right. Because it's it's slow moving, but it's this crescendo into action. There's there's thinking. You can you can debate about it for the last two weeks. Aaron and I have been te- have been going back and forth every day to talking about the Jays game, and I'm, the, we've got all kinds of people that I that I've got that I'm debating about what's going on with with baseball. I love my dog. He's got a big nose and he curls in, and he's just this cute little dog. I love my wife. She cares for me. She loves me. I love peanut butter. I love peanut butter and chocolate. It's just, it's just so, do, do, you, do you see the problem here? Is that we use this word for love and it's all kinds of different things. We, we say, I love peanut butter and I love my wife. Now, hopefully it's different, right? <laughs> but love is an emotion. It's, it's certain things that we feel. Love is an action. It's, it's something that we do for other people. It's an, it's an expression that we use that's hyperbole for something to describe that we're actually enjoying. It's a concept that's been warped by our past experience and our environments. People have told us that they've loved us, but they've treated us badly. Love is a misunderstood, misrepresented word, and all of it leads to a place where we have a bad idea of what love actually is. Because love has been shaped by our world rather than by a God who is love. And some people have gotten away in, in this life and they say, you know, I absolutely love you and here's what I do. We, I know that there was, there was a time in our world where to love as a parent meant you earn a good salary, you provide protection, and then you kind of back off. And as long as there's order and quiet in the house, we're loving well. And teenagers went, go through periods where it means... If you love that, that means there's some kind of physical stuff going on because we've got hormones, we've got physical attraction, and and we've never given credit probably to how those experiences have shaped how we respond when we hear the word love or when we think, how are we going to love? And there's this passage in 2 Corinthians that I think is misunderstood by some of us as Christ followers. Here's what it says. You can see it on the screen. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... If anyone's a Christian, a Christ follower, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. Now that's a really encouraging verse to hear and to read, to think there's nothing old about me anymore. The new has come. Since I've turned my life over to Jesus, I won't struggle. But if you followed Jesus for any amount of time, even a week, you know that it's a process that doesn't just happen like this. It develops in our life. The moment we submit to Christ, yes, his spirit is with us in full, But it's a process that changes over the time, that it's progressive within us. And we have access to supernatural ability, definitely. It's immediate. But submitting to him takes a lifetime to really get there. And our natural reaction often supersedes 
his supernatural response in us. And we could be working against 20, 30, 40 years of how we learned how to love instead of just responding to what Jesus described as love. So we're going to go to a familiar passage this morning. In fact, it's called the love passage in the Bible, but I want to let it challenge us today. So if you don't have a Bible with you today and you want to borrow one, just slip up your hand and one of the ushers will make sure you get a copy to borrow. We've got a few at the back and you can follow along. If you've got your, your phone or your tablet, you can go, get onto the Wi-Fi and uh, get the U version and you can just search Portico or Milton and you can follow along there. It's also in your bulletin. We make sure that you have all kinds of ways to follow along with our scriptures and with our key points. But we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're going to start at verse 4 and read through verse 8, the first part of verse 8. And here's what it says. Love is patient and love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, believe it or not, this was not written specifically for weddings. <laughs> Anybody ever heard that at a wedding? Yeah, yeah, this is where we hear this first. This actually had nothing to do with marriage when it was first written. It was written by a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was writing to a church in a city called Corinth, and the Corinthians, specifically the Corinthian believers in Jesus, were messed up. They were, they were emotionally immature. They were not emotionally healthy individuals. They were, when he came to them, they were suing each other. They were mad at each other. And instead of figuring out their problems, they went to court. There were multiple cases of adultery going on within that church. There were multiple cases of other kinds of immorality happening. When Paul went to their meetings, there was chaos in their church meetings. And Paul's writing to them this letter saying, guys, you've messed up a little bit here. This actually isn't how Jesus modeled life for us, isn't how he intended us to live. And you've got to rethink the way that you love each other. And with that in mind, we're going to spend the next 15 or 20 minutes or so just studying this passage. And then we're going to do it again in our CLGs this week. And if you're not, if you're not a part of a, of a community life group, you want to come out on Wednesday night. We've been having about six or seven of us just meeting here on Wednesdays. There's a, there's a program in the gym for your kids if they're in school age. Rudy and Renee are living an awesome kid fit program. And we have dessert at 630. And then what we do is we take what we learn here on Sunday and we talk about it a little more. And if you'd like to connect into a, a home group, we have some home groups as well. But we're going to study it today and in CLG this week. And what we're going to ask ourselves is, do we love well, or are we possibly loving more like we, we would see in the Corinthian church or even in our family history? And the second question that we want to look for ourselves is, what changes would we like to make in order that we would love well? So here we go. A person with a well-developed, emotionally healthy, spiritual kind of love, it's a long sentence, is this. They would protect always, and this comes right out of Paul's scripture. We are hardwired as human beings to protect ourselves, not protect somebody else. If somebody starts to throw a fist your way, what do you do? Here, test it out with your neighbor. Start to throw, no. <laughs> Immediately, your hands go up, right? You're scared. Why? Because we are, we are hardwired to protect ourselves. We don't want to be hurt. And that's physically, it's emotionally. It happens psychologically. And the concept of love says, I would put my own protection 
and serving my own needs secondary and make protecting somebody else's needs the primary thing that I fight for. And this is a wonderful sounding concept on paper, but when you try and live this out, it's, it's a completely different thing to do. For instance, I was lucky enough to secure some Blue Jays tickets for the playoffs this year. Yeah, that's right. And, and when I secured tickets for the playoffs, I think, I would love to go to every game this playoff. Now, surprisingly, I have some friends and family who would also love to go. Now, if I'm going to love well, whose interests am I protecting? My own or somebody else's? To love well means I protect the interest of somebody else. My brother thinks this means he gets to go on my dime. Uh, he, I'm not sure that that's what Jesus meant when he said we needed to know. <laughs> to love well means we protect the interest of somebody else. We fight for what somebody else would love. In church, you may prefer more singing, you may prefer less singing, but to love well means I don't prefer what I want, I prefer what somebody else wants. In a marriage, what happens when one of the couple gets this fantastic job offer, but it's in Montreal? And you have to think, do I want to move my family? Do I want to leave my job for this fantastic offer that somebody else has somewhere else? And an emotionally healthy person has the ability to fight for the needs of others before fighting for the needs of themselves. And a spiritually healthy, emotionally person has the ability to do this even for people that they don't get along with. See, Scripture never qualified that we have to like a person to act in their best interest, to love them. Here's what it says in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And this is a check that you're able to do for yourself if you're loving well. What were the things that you actively fought for this week? What were the things that you made it a point to go, I'm going I'm I'm to lobby for this. I'm going to fight for this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that this happens. Was it, was it you want a new coffee in the break room? You want a new coffee machine in the break room? And you're like, I'm sending an email to HR and I'm talking to someone. I'm making sure that the Keurig machine gets fixed and we have the right pods in there. Or is, it, or is it you can't stand watching baseball and other people in your family are watching baseball and you're fighting against it to make sure that you don't watch that boring four hours of TV if everything you fought for was for your own interest, for your own self, then you have some growth to do in terms of loving well. Where would we be if Christ never fought for our own needs? See, Jesus left perfection in heaven in order that we would have a personal relationship, the ability to, co- to connect with God individually, one-on-one. Before Christ, sin required some kind of death as payment in order to have connection with God. That's why they had the practice of animal sacrifices. And Jesus said, you know, I'll leave heaven, I'll leave perfection to come down and I'll, I'll substitute all these animal sacrifices just for me. That's payment enough for everyone's sin. He thought of his own need before our need. First John three sixteen. this is how we know what love is. Christ Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now, thankfully, I don't think he's speaking physical, lay down our lives. But he is saying, do we protect the needs of other people? Here's the challenge for the week. You can write this down. You can make a note for yourself. Here's our challenge. Demonstrate love practically for somebody else this week. Fight for somebody else's needs. Instead of worrying about self in one case, just actively put this into practice and see what kind of a difference it makes. 
Start small, maybe. Not for the neighbor that you can't stand who's been letting their dog and, or cat go in your garden or something like that. Or fight for something, maybe somebody that you already care about, somebody that you already love. Fight for their needs. And, uh, and see what happens when we begin to love well and we begin to love in this way. So that's the first thing that Paul identified. Second thing we want to get into is trust. Love always protects and love always trusts. And this is a concept that I speak about in marriage ceremonies uh, quite often. Some of you may know Graham and Larissa. Graham is one of our worship leaders here. He plays guitar. He's got um, the red hair. Graham and Larissa were married yesterday. And we got, we got to talk about how at the onset of marriage, we start to trust the other person for the things that we need and the things that we're going to provide. We're no longer caring just about ourselves. We're no longer worried about, um, we're, we're, no, we're no longer doing the things that we want for ourselves. We're going to trust that that person does it for me. And that's, that's the hard part of emotionally healthy love because it requires both acting this way, we, what we just talked about protecting somebody else, but it also requires trusting that somebody else is going to do that for us. Some of us may struggle on this end much more than we would struggle with acting. We could say, yeah, I can do something nice for somebody this week. I can sacrifice, but I can't really trust that somebody's going to do that for me. And a lot of times this stems back from what we talked about in the opening in the way that we've never been, we've never had a proper perspective of love. We've been taught that I can't really trust in love. And Yesterday, with Graham and Larissa standing at the front, they're wide-eyed, they're smiling, they're happy. They're ready to believe the best in each other. But we may be sitting here in church this morning, and we know that I can't believe the best in the people that are around me because they've hurt me. They've broken my trust. They're not a trustworthy person. And we know that most days, nobody is actually working for our best interest. So why would I ever start living in a way that trusts that somebody is working for our best interest. Have you ever done a trust fall exercise? Have you ever done a trust fall exercise? It's a simple, if if you haven't, it's a simple task where there are two people and one standing in the front and one standing in the back and the person is just supposed to fall gently back into their arms with their eyes closed seeing, look, somebody else will take care of your physical needs. And we're just going to show a little video of, of what can happen when you start to develop this kind of trust. So trust building exercises doesn't fix stupid. It just actually, <laughs> it, it can only build trust. It can't, it can't fix that kind of thing. <laughs> so for safety reasons, we're not going to run a trust fall exercise here this morning. But what we will do is administer a truth test. So I want you to identify a person in your mind whom you believe that you trust. Okay, just get a person, uh, the, the name of somebody in your mind that, that you love that you trust, and a simple yes or no question as we go through this six-question test, okay? Would you trust this person that you have in your mind to, number one, drive your new car? The first day you get a brand new car, would you give them the keys to that car? Do you trust them? <laughs> you don't, yeah, would you, the, new, the good one, the, the, good, the new car, the big one, the, the one that you, you desire. Okay, that's one. Number two, Plan every part of your next vacation. So you have no say into where you're going or what you're doing. Would you trust that person to plan the vacation for you? (laughs) No. I see a lot of no's going on. (laughs) Number three. Would you trust the person to have the pin 
to your bank card? Would you, would you give them your card with the pin and say, you know what, I just trust that you're not going to take out any money that you're not supposed to. Would you trust, now we'll go a little bit further than bank code, because that's money. What about information? Would you trust the person to have access to your phone and your email? And they could skim back over any kinds of, of, of email, any kind of information that, that you had, had sent. What about number five? Would you trust them to listen to you share about a recent failure and not have their opinion change about you? Number six. Would you trust that person to go in and have a conversation with your boss on behalf of you at time? It takes an emotionally healthy person to say, I risk trusting somebody else to do any, I mean, like we laughed at the plan out the next vacation, like not absolutely not. But when we get down to the bottom there and it's, this is, this, this is real stuff that could hurt us, that could, that could, that could change us. And we will never love well with somebody else until we can get to a point where, yeah, I would trust this person with sensitive information, with the ability to take care of my needs over their needs. And I want to take you to a story in the Old Testament. There's two boys named David and Jonathan. And Jonathan was the prince, and Jonathan was destined to become king. And David was his best friend. And he lived in the palace as a support to the king. But it was rumored that David had been anointed by the, by the prophet to be the next king. So you've got David and Jonathan, best friends. Jonathan Prince should be king, but David had already been kind of anointed as this next king. Remember, David was the boy. He rescued the whole country from Goliath and slavery. Israel was going to become slaves if somebody fought Goliath and lost, but David won and, and took down this nine-foot-tall giant with the big sword. And, and so David got brought into, into the king's palace. David was a warrior then. He, he was also a skilled musician. He would play music for the king. And when the king was upset, it would, it would calm him. The Bible describes David as good-looking. He was handsome. He had these rugged good looks, they, it, would, it says. Scripture describes their relationship in a beautiful way. David and Jonathan, who should be adversaries. Here's what it says, 1 Samuel 18 and 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, the king, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as he loved himself. These two friends figured out a way to say, I'm going to love well, even though I shouldn't. David, Jonathan had no business trusting David. He shouldn't have, but he said, I'm going to choose to trust you that you're going to take care of my needs. And the king actually began to see David as the threat that he was to his son, so he began to plot David's death. And he heard that people love David not only more than Jonathan, but actually people love David more than they love the king. And Saul tells, tells Jonathan about it. So now Jonathan's torn. And he says, do I protect myself or do I protect David? And he goes and he tells David about it. And now David is torn. And David's saying, do I trust Jonathan that this guy's going to try and kill me, or do I trust the instinct that this king brought me into the palace and has actually given me a lot of authority? Who do, who do I trust now? But he said, you know, I'm going to choose to trust the person that I've intentionally become one with. And this is what trust looks like in the lives of two people who put somebody else first. Now, no spoilers here. You go and read the book of 1 Samuel for yourself if you want all the details. But the last bit of the, uh, the truth test that we had up there, or the trust test, sorry, is that, is there a person whom you really wouldn't trust all the details of your life with? And a life that's marked by love and loving well 
in an emotionally healthy way, acts on behalf of others, even when it makes them vulnerable, even when it takes a person trusting with sensitive information. It's get, it gets real in here when we start talking about loving this way. Third thing that we want to identify, that love protects, love trusts. Love also hopes. I need to do a little bit of Bible teaching here for a minute. That the scriptures are often written in an ABBA pattern. It's called a, a, a chiastic structure. And what it says is that it's written that the end parts of two, so the A and the A are the same, and then the middle parts are the same as well. And we can see it all throughout scripture. It says uh, Jesus was teaching about the Sabbath. He says, Sabbath, A, was not made for people, B, but people, B, were made for the Sabbath. And they use it to emphasize something. In Joshua 1, it's a, um, the Lord speaking to Joshua, and he says, be strong, so that's part A, and I'll be with you as I was with Moses, that's part B. And then he says it again, and I will not leave you. I'll be with you and not leave you. Same thing, it's emphasis. And then he ends it off a bookend with, so don't fear, which is much the same as be strong. 1 Corinthians 13, if you go through it, is actually a chaotic pattern. So love always protects is part A, and then it hopes and trusts. So we know that these middle pieces are connected here. And the difference between, between hope and trust here is subtle, but it's important. That love trusts in another, but then, even when trust is broken, it hopes for the best in the future. And if we live and if we love people for any length of time, we figure out that they are not always trustworthy. And at the very least, a trustworthy person makes a mistake with our feelings and they let us down. And in fact, there are people who will avoid church because they can't believe in a God whom his followers have broken their trust. Because there's Christians that break people's trust all the time. So I can't go to church because there's all these people that have hurt me there. There's marriages that have ended and families that have broken apart because people who we said we trusted didn't follow up on that. But emotionally healthy love hopes that even broken love and broken trust can be restored. And this is where it even becomes more difficult. Because in our world, past behavior is a predictor of future behavior, right? If it happened in the past, then it'll probably happen that way again. Well, in the spiritual realm, it's totally different. Past behavior is covered up by love and allows for a fresh start every day. First Peter 4 and 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And actually, this is a description of Christ's love for us. And he's our model of love. I asked you earlier if you would trust a person to share a personal failure with. I can, I can remember times when, when an early in Amanda and I's marriage, when we would, we would have done something wrong and we would have offended the other person and we would have this fear, can I go to them and say, you know what, I've done this and I've let you down. But love that trusts is also a love that hopes that in the future it will be different. First John 4 and 18 said, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Do you have a relationship in your life right now where you don't fear the person's response? Because even if you let them down, you know that they're going to hope for the best in you in the future. That's emotionally healthy love. That trusts in the first place and then hopes for better in the future. And it's allowing other people around us that we care about, to triumph by God's grace the same way that he's allowed for us to have a fresh start every day because he loves us that much. Okay, last one. Love protects, love hopes, love trusts. Love perseveres. 
Now, the Bible commentaries say that this word holds the meaning of it never gives up, it's undismayed, it's not overwhelmed, it's not a resigned acquiescence, but has a positive fortitude like a soldier. It's this picture of just going on, pushing through in strength, the same way that protects is like that. It protects like a soldier with strength. And loving well means loving in all of these ways, even when it's hard, even when it didn't work out before, even when we feel like giving up. This is how Paul told the church in Corinth to live and to love. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 and 14. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. Now we're here in church this morning, and you may feel ready to give up on somebody that said they loved you. And you may feel ready to give up on a God who says that he loves you. And this message is one that says there is a love available that protects, that covers over the mistakes, that will endure all your life. And I think it would be appropriate this morning if we spend a few moments in prayer just with those who need to feel that love again. And I believe this morning that there are people who need help showing love to a person in this way. You say, you know what, I, I need to show love differently. I've been, I've been showing love in a way that I was taught love, but I know it's not the right thing all the time. We want to pray with you and say, Lord, empower them. Give them the ability to love the way that you've loved. Maybe there's people here this morning and you can do that for others, but you need to receive love that way. Maybe it's from a person. Maybe it's just you need to receive the love that God has for you that will protect you, that trusts in you, that hopes for the best in you, that perseveres till the end. You just need to be reminded that there is someone that loves you in this way. Here's what Romans 5 and 8 says. God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were still sinners and we didn't deserve it, Christ died for us. And I never stand up here at the front and say this is easy or it'll come quickly and we can just change 100% in a moment. But I'd be also doing you a disservice to pretend like it's not possible and that the love you've experienced in this world is the only love that there is. There's a love that we're commanded to in the Bible that says, protect, trust, hope, and persevere. So I'm going to ask us to stand this morning. And maybe if you're here with someone, you just want to find a moment just off to the side or as you stand there and just to pray with them and say, Lord, help us to love this way. If you'd like to come to the front, then Mark's around and Amanda's around, I'm around. We would love to pray with you and just spend some time saying, Lord, could you help them receive this love? Could you help them love this way? Maybe you just want to sing the words on the screen that Heather's going to lead us in that says that your love never fails, it never gives up on me. Whatever it is, we'll come back and close at the end. Would you find a way to respond to the Spirit saying, Lord, help me to love and receive this love well? Jesus, it's been so good to be here this morning and to celebrate with new life in the form of kids and to celebrate new life in our lives and new love. And Lord, we, we, we believe this morning that you have done some things in our hearts and in our relationships and we thank you for that, Lord. And as we go forward this week, help us to love out this way, Lord. Give us confidence to trust in you and trust in others, Lord. Lord, through all things, all days 
of our life, every step that we take. We ask that you continue to speak to us, God. Challenge us out of your word. Challenge us by other people. That we would continually be shaped in the people that you've created us really really to be. We want to be emotionally healthy, spiritual people, Lord, that share that love with people and are restored unto our even in, in, in ourselves, Lord. So thank you for a great opportunity just to be here this morning, be shaped by that. Ask us all in Jesus' name. Amen.